Today we're taking a break in our Daniel sermon series, Remaining Faithful in a Faithless Generation. And Brandon's going to share with us this morning, and you've heard me say this before, but I'm always so thankful when somebody's able to fill in for me. It allows me to do things during the week for the church that I, I don't get to when I have that load of preparing a sermon. So, And I'm always interested to hear what, what God is putting on Brandon's heart, and I just really enjoy learning from him. So I'm excited to see what God shares through you this morning. Thanks, brother. Uh, Well, I was telling my wife and my brother as I was preparing this message that last Saturday before Mother's Day that I kept having these freak out and panic moments that I was preaching on Mother's Day and that I hadn't said anything about moms yet in my message. Literally like five or six times. I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm preaching on Mother's Day. I haven't said anything about moms. I mean, I don't know what was going on. Uh, So I don't know. I I mean, moms, happy Mother's Day. I mean, I feel like I need to say something to you. So I I know it was last week, but my brain, it was so confused. I thought I was either preaching last week or that this week was Mother's Day. So I apparently have a phobia of uh, Mother's Day preaching. So I'm glad today's not Mother's Day. It is a privilege to be here and to be able to fill in for my brother Shane. Is he not doing a fantastic job in the book of Daniel? That is awesome. Like I, I, Daniel has come to life to me in just a new way through uh, what God's laid on your heart. So I just appreciate it so much. Um, he's been so faithful so far to our congregation. It was so cool to see City Serve yesterday and just the, uh, all the awesomeness going on there. So let's pray and ask him to be faithful this morning. Father, we are so grateful to be here. We are so grateful to get the chance to hear, not from me, but from your word. Um, If anything um, comes out of my mouth, Lord, let it be from your heart and from your word and not from my own. Uh, I just pray that you would open our ears, open our eyes, and open our hearts to hear from your spirit this morning and that it would lead to um, a deeper faith in you. We love you. We thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for what a beautiful name the name of Jesus is. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and turn to Mark 9, 14. This is a different passage than the one that we read this morning, but it's the same account. It's just, or it's the same story. It's just a different account. So we're going to actually um, read from Mark's account a little bit here. And I'm not going to go through the whole passage um, right up front. I'm just going to kind of walk through it. So whether you've been a follower of Christ for 40 years, just starting out, or don't even believe yet, I just want you to open yourself up to fall in love with Jesus or to fall more in love with him through this passage, because I have done that this week. I was just falling more and more in love with Jesus as I've seen the way he's interacted with the people in the passage and as I've seen the different uh, things that he's done. So just open up your heart. So here's the general gist of how this went down um, when Jesus healed this boy who had a uh, demon-possessed spirit. Right before this, Jesus was on Mount Sinai with James, Peter, and John, which is where God transfigured Jesus and made him shine like really radiantly. And then Elijah and Moses were both there. And like all three of them were talking about all these spiritual things and like Jesus raising from the dead and the future. And then the three disciples were kind of over here listening in. I mean, it was like a reunion of like some of the coolest people ever. And so there was a whole lot more that went into that. And I won't go into detail with it, but I have to point one thing out because I love Peter. So Peter, uh, scared out of his mind, and the Bible literally says terrified. Peter says, Jesus, it's good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. I could just see Jesus being like, oh, you, you don't get it. They're not actually, oh, they've been dead for years. I mean, oh, but I just love Peter. And the, and the Bible actually says, for he did not know what to say. So he said, let's make tents. I love Peter. We'll get back to Peter a little bit later. 
Um, so anyways, long story short, God the Father uh, speaks from the cloud on the mountain and says, this is my beloved son, listen to him. And Moses and Elijah disappear, Jesus, James, Peter, and John come down from the mountain to the rest of the disciples, and the disciples had a great crowd around them. Now, if you know that terminology in the Gospels, a lot of times it says that Jesus had a great crowd around him, but this time it's the disciples, so I think that's really interesting. Why is that? Because three chapters earlier, Jesus gave the disciples authority over the demons. And so the disciples are going around casting out demons and healing people. And he did it two by two, of course, because he didn't trust them yet. I wouldn't either. Um, So Jesus and James and Peter and John come down from the mountain. They see this huge crowd around the other nine disciples. Um, And some of the scribes or religious leaders are arguing with the disciples. And this is where the passage picks up here. So Mark 9, 14, and um, I'll be reading from the ESV. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. I don't know about you, but if I'm a disciple, I'm thinking, what am I, chopped liver? Like, seriously, Jesus walks in, you just go all flocking to him. And I'm like, well, yeah, kind of, because, I mean, he was just with Moses and Elijah, and his clothes turned, like, super white and, and, like, whiter than the whitest bleached clothes ever. And then God the Father spoke and, like, blessed him and said we should listen to him. What a change that would be. And then Moses and Elijah disappeared, and then we came down the mountain, and we found you here, and people were arguing with you, and it didn't look really good, so... Yeah, they're coming to me. So anyways, there's that. But so the crowds come to Jesus and ask them all what they're arguing about. And this guy speaks up and says this in verse 16. And he asked them, uh, what are you arguing with them about? Jesus asked them. And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. I can't even imagine like what this boy or his family would have went through. So Jesus replies and he answered them. And he didn't answer the man. It actually says he answered them. So at this point, he's not just talking to the father of the demon-possessed son. He's talking to the whole crowd, including the religious leaders, the disciples, the father, and the onlookers. And he said, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? And at this point, I could totally see Peter thinking in his head, ha, the other disciples totally screwed this one up. Oh man, Jesus just called them faithless. So glad I was with Jesus on the mountain, right? Actually, no, that demon, that demon was lucky I wasn't down here. Yeah, but I was with Jesus on the, on the mountain. I don't know if Peter actually thought that, but you could probably get uh, a hint now, uh, you know, looking into my mind that I have issues with pride, and, you know, like King Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. So that's what I would be thinking if I was Peter. That would be my natural thought. So either way, um, I don't know if Peter was thinking that, but I do know that Peter, James, and John, the three that went up with Jesus on the mountain, still didn't get what happened on the mountain. And they were confused when they came down and they were talking about it and they're like, what does he mean? Jesus rising from the dead. So they still don't get it. So all these people here don't get it. Those three disciples are not excused because they were with Jesus on the mountain. Nobody gets it. And so Jesus calls out everybody and says, uh, faithless uh, generation, it's aimed at everyone. Uh, and then there's the whole tent thing. Peter, I mean, come on, you, you asked to make, you said you're going to make tents. So anyways, um, so he says, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him, and he means bring the son to me. I love this part. 
because at this point it's getting intense. So Jesus is calling out the disciples, the religious leaders, the onlookers, the father, and he says, bring the boy to me. I just imagine an Avengers movie when like all the Avengers are trying to like kill the bad guy and then nobody can do it. And then who comes out? The Hulk, right? So the Hulk comes and everybody's like, yeah, it's on. Or even like the calves, when we're down by six with, with, and I did leave my cape at home. You're lucky. I I was going to wear it today. Um, and when we're down by, by six with like 10 minutes left to go in the fourth quarter and you see LeBron come into the scorer's table to check in and you're like, oh yeah, game on, it's on. So this is what's happening here. The disciples failed, I mean, failed miserably, down by 30 of the fourth quarter. And then Jesus is coming in because his, his reputation preceded him, just like G, uh, LeBron and the Hawks' reputation precede them. So verse 20, and they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. So this boy has literally been having demon-induced seizures. Verse 21, and Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? I love this question because Jesus already knew the answer. So he didn't ask it because he was curious. He asked it because it highlights the empathy that he wanted to show to that man and his son. It highlights the compassion. Because the longer you know that someone has suffered, the more empathy and the more compassion you can have for them. So I love that this question, he asked that. This is not just another uh, person that that the demon is going to be cast out of to Jesus. He knows his name. I love it. And then the answer that the man gives shows Jesus' power in casting out. Verse 21, the man said, from childhood this has been going on. So just stop there for a minute. This phrase implies that this, guy, this boy is at least a teenager, if not a young adult, and that this has been happening since childhood. So this has been going on for years. And then it goes on to say in verse 22, and it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. So John MacArthur in his commentary talks about how in that time it was really common for there to be open fires and unfenced bodies of water. And he talks about how this boy probably would have been disfigured from all the burn scars that he would have had when the demon threw him into the fire. He would have been ostracized because of that. And his family would have had to watch him constantly because of this, because they would have had to protect him from all of the fires in the water. And guess who would have had to have been the ones going in to the fire if he ever got, if the, if the demon ever took him into the fire? His family. Guess who would have had to have been the ones going in the lake or in the pond into the water when the demon was trying to drown his son, the dad, the family. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? The despair, the uncertainty, and the fear. Jesus can imagine. So the man goes on to say in verse 22, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And it's just interesting that this man asked for compassion and help. Teacher, if you can give us anything, could you give compassion and help? What a surprise they're in for. So Jesus says to him in verse 23, if you can, I believe the NKJV says, if you can believe, but Jesus, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. See, Jesus is calling this man deeper than compassion or help. He's calling him to believe and to put his trust in Jesus, not just to ask for the crumbs. And this response that this guy gives is the most confusing revealing and fascinating uh, response to me personally of anybody in the Gospels when Jesus calls to believe. It says, verse 24, immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, 
help my unbelief. We'll come back to that later, as that's where I want to spend a majority of the time. Verse 25 says, And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. So people are getting excited again. People are running over. The, there's a boy literally seizing from this demon in front of them, and Jesus is about to heal him. Jesus rebukes the demon, and look at the, the wordage here. It's not just from coming out of the boy, but from never entering him again. Jesus is sealing for this boy present healing and future healing. Because when Jesus speaks and casts out a demon, the demon has to listen. And friends, I'm telling you this right now, that, demon, that boy never saw another demon again in his life because there's no way they were going near him again when Jesus cast him out and said, never enter him again. How cool is that? Part of verse 26 um, then says, And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said he is dead. But Jesus, but Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. This is where I want you to just fall in love with Jesus. Does that phrase sound familiar at all? But Jesus lifted him up, and he arose. How about Ephesians 2? But God, when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive with Christ and raised us up. What a sweet foreshadowing of our salvation from death to life. In many ways, we're the, we're the boy in this story. The passage ends in verses 28 and 29 saying, And when he had entered the house, meaning Jesus, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And Jesus said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Wow. So, you know, honestly, I feel like at this point we could just stop and end, and it would be, it'd be cool. Um, and I'm, I almost want to do that because I'm a little afraid moving forward here because God's word is powerful, and it speaks, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, and mine are not. <laughs> um, so if you, uh, if you want to just forget everything that comes after this, it's okay. Um, just remember everything that came before except the part about Hawk and LeBron. You forget that too. I don't really exactly have like solidified points to this message, just kind of a hodgepodge of thoughts and ideas as to what God's been teaching me and what he's been speaking to me through this passage and just in my, in my personal life. Um, but as I mentioned earlier, I really want to hone in on the Father's response of, I believe, help my unbelief. I never understood this phrase before, and I'm still working on it. Um, I don't have all this, all this wisdom by any means. Because um, it doesn't make sense to me. How can he say, help my unbelief, if he's saying that he believes? And so the older I get, the more I realize like things are not black and white. And if you spent like more than five minutes talking to me at a time, you'll know that that's been on my mind. Um, so things are not black and white. It's not all or nothing. And so this, this phrase or this statement here actually puts belief on a scale. It's not either you believe or you don't believe. I believe, help my unbelief. It puts it on a scale. And so um, it's like I have something over here called belief. And then I have something over here called unbelief. It doesn't say, I believe, help me believe more. It says, I believe, help my unbelief. He's saying there's something wrong with my unbelief. It's not where it needs to be. It's not where you want it to be. It's not where I need it to be. My belief isn't whole. It's not complete. So I believe like, just like this man in the story, we can live our lives right where he's at and probably are living our lives right where he's at. And it's not a bad place to be if you have the right heart and are moving in the right direction. And, and we'll, I'll explain that a little more. So if you remember toward the beginning of the passage, Jesus calls everyone out and calls them a faithless generation. So I want to talk about faith and the relationship between faith and belief 
and then trust and conviction and obedience and kind of how all those things relate. Um, don't ask Google because Google and, or Siri uses the same like words in the definitions of the other ones, so it doesn't help. It's like the definition of trust is like to have faith. Definition of faith is like to trust. I'm like, come on, seriously? So don't ask them. Uh, ask the Bible. So I'm going to try to help you out here this morning. Um, I'm going to go with the definition that Shane, give for, Shane gave for biblical faith probably a couple months ago. Um, I wrote it down. It's on my quotes page um, on my phone. Biblical faith is comprised of belief, trust, and obedience. So belief, trust, and obedience. And I love that definition because when you think about the process of how an action actually comes about, and I'm a therapist here, so I apologize. I always go on these, these tangents from like a, a, a physiological level and whatnot, but, but it starts in the mind. Actions don't just come about. They start in the mind, then they activate our emotions, and it leads to our actions. So it's like head, heart, hands. And you may think, well, I don't think before I act. Wives are like, yeah, my husband definitely doesn't. And I'm sure you probably don't think you do, but subconsciously, we're actually thinking before we act. So um, we think, we feel, uh, we act, and... That's just kind of how it is. And so we use the phrase sometimes, I don't know what I was thinking. That's probably legitimate. You probably don't know what you were thinking. And then later you figure out, oh, well, this is really what I was thinking. And that's why I did this. And that usually comes along in our apologies a lot of times. I'm, I'm like a master at that. So it's pretty accurate, um, but it's actually really cool. to be. It's a cool process. So, so in our definition of faith, we have belief, trust, and obedience. So belief is like the mental aspect. Trust is the emotional aspect. That confidence, that assurance Another way to say it is an attitude of dependence on that belief. And then obedience is the action that will naturally overflow from that belief and trust or confidence in that belief. So think about the phrase in the Gospels when Jesus would heal somebody. He would say, your faith has made you well. That meant that they did something or acted, and then doing something or acting showed that they, had, that they trusted, which showed that they had belief, Okay. So it's kind of the, the biblical faith that always comes with those, those three. And so thoughts, emotions, actions, belief, trust, obedience. I believe for us, much of the time, not all, but much of the time, the disconnect is in the middle. So in between like our belief and our action, the, dis- the disconnect is in that emotional aspect, that trust or that attitude of dependence on. Um, I have a belief that the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in me. But do I act on that belief even half of the time? <laughs> yeah, probably not. And so where's, where's the disconnect? Like, why? It's my lack of trust or assurance in that belief, which is stemming from a lack of depth in that belief or a lack of conviction or even harboring unbelief like this man in the passage. Belief, trust, obedience, the disconnect is in the middle. And I believe the way to grow the part in the middle is to grow the first part here, the belief or, or the unbelief. So... Um, the interesting thing is that with our thoughts that come up, so like when the, the, the thing, the, the mic, the Barbie mic went out, I had this natural thought of like, oh man, of course it came, came from, it happened with me. That shows that I have a core belief hidden somewhere deep down inside that I feel like bad things are crazy or wacky, funny things always happen to me. I feel like they really do. I don't know, maybe it's a, a false belief. But, but our core beliefs are the things that are the very core of our being. They're like, they're convictions that we hold nearly, very nearly and dearly to our hearts, whether they're positive or negative. So for example, if I have the core belief that I'm worthless, then when I go into a new environment and somebody you know, gives me a dirty look or calls me a mean name or puts me down, I'm probably going to think to myself, I don't belong here. 
It's going to make me feel sad and depressed, and I'm going to leave the environment. If I have a core belief that I am not worthless or that I have worth as a person or as a child of God, then when I go into a new environment and somebody gives me a dirty look or calls me a mean name or puts me down so the exact same thing happened to me, I might think to myself, well, that was really odd. That person must be having a bad day. I must, I'll probably feel upset and maybe even empathetic for them. And then it might even lead to me asking them what's wrong or at least just going and finding somebody else to hang out with but staying at the, at the environment. So completely different reactions according to our core beliefs. Um, so here's the premise. If you want your faith to grow, so this kind of overall thing of belief, trust, and obedience, if you want your faith to grow, allow your belief in conviction in God and in his word to grow. Because I believe that the scripture reveals that the man's lack of faith stemmed from a lack of belief or from unbelief. All right? So the deeper your convictions go, the greater your faith will be. It's kind of where we're, where we're headed. So how do we get from belief to conviction? You can't force yourself to believe in something or even to believe in something more, just like you never consciously chose to believe in gravity. It just happened. But what you can do is you can, in the words of Shane, partner with God to put yourself in a position for your level of belief or your, or your faith or trust in God to grow. Ultimately, God's responsible for the growth, but we can partner with him to put ourselves in the position for that to be more manifested fully in our lives. So I developed an acronym because I think in acronyms all of the time, it's almost exhausting, and I'm kind of obsessed with them. Um, but I developed one that I, I thought would kind of be like a guide to help us partner with God to grow our faith and our belief in a tangible way. And this is Brandon World here, so take it for what it's worth. It's not all-encompassing by any means, and it may not resonate with you at all, but I do believe the concepts in it are biblical. And I do also want to put this disclaimer, I don't think this is the only way for our faith or our belief in God to grow. All right, There are so many different ways. The Bible is full of it. Go read it. But this is kind of where we're started. So the acronym is CLEAR, C-L-E-A-R. I don't have a PowerPoint. I apologize. Haley asked me if I wanted her to do one. I, I, I didn't do it, so I apologize. Help my unbelief. Uh, so again, this is, where we, this is where we can get from belief to conviction or from unbelief to belief through partnering with God. So clear is consider. The, the C is consider. And this is just consider believing or consider believing more fully. Sometimes we just stay stuck on things that we should have probably addressed a long time ago. So open yourself up to change and to getting uncomfortable because that's where growth happens. The man in this story could have just stayed stuck and could have just believed that his son would have never been healed and it probably would have been a lot easier if you think about it. Because there is probably a certain level of comfortability with the life he had been living even though it was hard. We all have experienced that. Yeah, like my life, it's hard, it's difficult, but I'm comfortable with it. So I believe that this man could have had a hint of that in it. It isn't great, but at least I know what to expect. And this is counterintuitive to what we would normally think. But I think that him starting with if was him considering believing. He said, Jesus, if you can do anything. I believe that that was the beginning of of faith for that man was the word if. So this morning, I I want to encourage you to take your if to Jesus Jesus, if you're able to save a person like me, if you're able to love a person like him or her or change a person like him or her, we all have those ifs. So take it to Jesus. Take your if to Jesus. And if is an okay place to start, but don't stay there too long, okay? And this is the L, is let go. Let go of whatever is holding you back. 
So think about the, what the man in the story had to give up to believe that Jesus could do this. Think about all the times before that he had probably tried to have someone heal his boy. Maybe all the doctors that he had seen. I mean, even just before that, the disciples tried to heal him and they couldn't even do it, right? Do I have the strength to open myself up one more time knowing that I might get hurt again? Knowing that I might get my hopes up again? Much of the time, I think it just comes down to the fear behind the the conviction or the belief, uh, the fear of what we'll lose or what we may have to change. We we refuse, and I do this all the time, we refuse to firmly believe something or have a conviction about something because we're afraid of what will happen if we do and that something or if that something or someone doesn't come through for us. And I don't know about you, but God's been convicting me. I would much rather live with conviction and fail and get hurt than live with half-hearted belief and never put myself in a position to fail or get hurt. And I pray that for ALCF. I pray that's where we're at. And listen, it's okay to doubt. It's okay to have hesitancy. That's super normal and natural for all of us, including all the people in the faith chapter or the hall of faith in Hebrews 11. They all doubted. So it's super normal. It's about what we do with those doubts. And if you're not careful, you can if your way right out of faith. So remember, if is an okay place to start, but don't stay there forever. I believe Jesus was cool with this man bringing his if to him and that he didn't want him to stay there either. He called him out for it. So if can often be like the catalyst of faith, but if if stays forever, it can hinder our faith. So that's important. Third one here is evidence, and this is the E. We just got to look at it. We got to look at the evidence. I get so pumped on this part. I don't believe a person in here ever chose to consciously believe in gravity. I have full belief in gravity, uh, me personally, and there's no unbelief about it. So I have full belief and trust and an attitude of dependence in gravity, and therefore I act on it by walking outside every day or by jumping, trusting that I'm not going to float away. Why? Why do I trust in gravity so much? Because from, from the earliest time that I can remember, gravity has always been acting on me, so I have always acted on it. Gravity is constantly acting on us, so we're constantly acting on it. Well, guess what? God is constantly acting on us. Just for starters, he created gravity. So every time you walk outside, him play, float in the air and, fall, and go away into space, that's God acting on you through him play, creating gravity. So God is constantly acting on us. We need to act on him. We just need to look at the evidence and see it. I mean, he created oxygen. He created, he, look at creation. Look at the trees and the sky on your way to work tomorrow morning. Think back on your life and see his faithfulness. Just look on the last week of your life even and see his faithfulness. I bet in this room, we probably have a combined travel time of at least like four days between all of us. And as far as I know, it's really bad if there was, no accidents. Awesome. Sweet. As far as I know, no accidents. Look at, all the, look at the children in the congregation, how God has worked in their lives. Think about how he's protected them, especially some of the wild ones who like to do American Ninja Warrior on the church pews. I mean, God has protected us. Look at the adults in this room. Like, literally, just look around for a minute. Everybody just look around at all the adults in this room. These are your redeemed brothers and sisters in Christ, and we are still standing. And ALCF, this church body, this, this building is still standing. How cool is that? I believe that a huge part of Jesus' frustration with the disciples when he called everyone out was that they had been with him. They had seen all of the miracles and all these things that Jesus had said and done, but were they really looking? 
They had seen everything, but were they really looking? I mean, we come in here every Sunday, we see each other, but are we really looking and seeing what God is doing in each other's lives? It's amazing. Were they actively in their minds connecting the life and beauty around them with God's gracious provision of them? Were they taking Jesus at his word and acting on it? Are we in God's word on a regular basis to listen to what he's saying? Remember God saying when he transfigured Jesus, this is my beloved son, not in whom I'm well pleased. He said, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Like how basic is that? We should just listen to Jesus more. Are we in God's word and fully taking Jesus at his word and acting on it? The disciples didn't fully until after the resurrection and after Jesus reappeared to them. So it's okay to doubt. But guess what, guys? We're on the other side of the grave. We've seen and believed the saving work that Jesus has done in our lives. Do we look long enough to see how he's intimately working in our daily lives as well? Uh, Shane mentioned last week, if Daniel trusted in God before the lion's den, then imagine how much more Daniel would have trusted in God after the lion's den. I'm telling you right now, I believe sometimes we go through lion's dens and don't even recognize them as lion's dens because of how nearsighted we become. And then our trust and our belief and our faith in God doesn't grow through that time because we're not noticing it as a lion's den. Look back and see the lion's dens in your lives and and that you've been through even recently and allow that to more fully convince you of God's faithfulness. You know, there's this movement right now in in the Christian worship world about God's faithfulness and recognizing it and seeing it as basic and as evident as it really is in our lives. And it's beautiful. I love it. And the cool thing about looking at past evidence is that it will propel us to future faith. So think about, think about uh, how Hebrews 11 defines faith. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Here's the cool thing. We can have faith in things that are not seen because of the things that we have seen. God does not often call us to a blind faith or to a blind trust. He mainly calls us to a perceptual trust. Think about Thomas, who doubted. Jesus didn't just disappear and say, well, just have faith, Thomas. Right? What did he say? Look. Feel. Touch. See. That's a perceptual trust. It wasn't blind faith. It wasn't blind trust. So God calls us to look at the evidence of what he's done for us and then to trust in him for what he'll do moving forward. I love the song, Do It Again. I've seen you move. You move the mountains, and I believe I'll see you do it again. I love that. Faith is trust in what God can do and will do because of the conviction of what God has already done to the point that I act on it, to the point that I act on it. And if you want some really cool evidence about God and his faithfulness and about the validity of his word, study neuroscience. I know, right? Neuroscience. It sounds really boring. It's probably one of the coolest things in the world. So it's amazing. Remember how Paul said in Romans 12 to not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind? Well, neuroscience within the last decade or so has revealed this concept of neuroplasticity, which means that our brains are like plastic and can actually change and mold past the age of 25. I'm 25, so there's hope for me, right? It used to be, well, it's just your brain brain is developing up until 25 and it stops developing. That's not true anymore, right? So uh, our, our brains can actually change. How cool is that? I'm evidence of this, too. If you don't believe it, ask my wife if I had an organizational bone in my body before marrying her and spending all this time with her. Now I can barely function unless my life is organized and structured. Like, my brain has physically changed. The neurons fire in a different direction. 
How cool is that? You might say, okay, Brandon, I don't know if Paul was really talking about being more organized. He probably wasn't. He's probably talking more about sin and our patterns of thinking. And you know what? If that's true, this has greatly changed in me as well. I've shared with with many of you before about my battle for sexual purity and my battle with pornography and lust. I had an addiction by definition of an addiction to lust. And my brain had been programmed for lust. And I don't want to go into detail with that, but it was programmed for it. But through therapy and brothers and sisters in Christ, thank you, KP. Good to see you here this morning, brother. Um, And an amazingly loving and gracious and forgiving wife. Thank you, dear. God is reprogramming my brain for love and not lust. And that is a beautiful thing. He has and is changing my brain physically. Physiologically, Paul wrote, it's different. He's renewing my mind. So how cool is that that 2,000 years later after Paul wrote that, neuroscience is confirming the validity of what he said. How cool. Here's the A in clear. Acknowledge and ask for it. So acknowledge your doubt and your unbelief before God. I believe, help my unbelief. You see, what what I believe this man was really saying is, I believe, but give me conviction. Give me a confident assurance. And what does Jesus do? He does it. He heals the man's son, and the man witnesses a life-changing miracle. So how often do we pray this? How often do we pray in general? You know, it's interesting that in this passage, at the end when the disciples ask why they couldn't cast the demon out, Jesus pointed to their prayerlessness. So he identified prayerlessness with faithlessness. And if you don't see it, that's why we, partially why we read the, the other account in Matthew this morning. Because in the Matthew account, it's when the disciples asked why they couldn't cast the demon out. Jesus said, because of your little faith. But in the Mark account, Jesus says, because of your lack of prayer. So little faith and lack of prayer, they go hand in hand. If you have little faith, a lot of times there'll be a lack of prayer. And if you have a lack of prayer, it'll, it'll give an indicator that you do have a lack of faith. And the reason for this is because, the reason that we're so related is because when we're praying, we're both acknowledging our need for God and we're actively depending on God at the same time. I think the disciples would have done well to petition Jesus in the same way that this man did, to acknowledge that they have the lack of faith to do what was asked of them to heal this demon. But guess what? The disciples started getting a crowd, didn't they? Started getting a little self-confident. I think they would have done well. To say, I believe, help my unbelief. And I don't believe in the moment that we start beginning, beginning to follow Jesus with our lives is the moment we have full faith in him. We need to be constantly relying on him to provide it for us. And remember when Jesus said those words, bring him to me. That signified and represented so much. I believe that he's calling us this morning to bring our if-you-cans to Jesus. To just acknowledge them and to ask him to help. To bring our doubts and our unbelief to him. He will not turn you away, and he will not let you stay the same. The father and the disciples acknowledged that their, their, their last resort and their only chance was to bring the boy to Jesus, to which you might think, well, Jesus wasn't there when they tried to heal the boy. He was on the mountain. And you're right, but Jesus isn't on the mountain anymore. He's not on the cross. He's not in the grave. He's living in us through the Spirit. He's not just with us. He is living in us. What a shame it would be if we don't go to him and call on him for help. What if this was our first resort, not our last resort? He wants us to call on him. I've been so convicted about this recently. Just in, in my work at CCHO, I'm, I'm so, I struggle so much with just remembering to, to pray and, and to just let everything be saturated with prayer. And um, we had a, 
um, a boy the other day who is getting really close to leaving and going home with his family. He was set to discharge this coming Friday, and his mom didn't show up to two of her drug screens. And I tell you, these kids have like a sixth sense when their parents, um, they know when their parents are like re- have relapsed um, and it's really sad. And so he, he was really, really struggling and a lot of aggression came out. I mean, this kid's been doing great for a long time. He was just youth of the month. A lot of aggression came out. So we had to uh, physically restrain him. And we only do that when um, like they're trying to hurt themselves or others. Um, and he just was not calming down in this restraint. And I just, my heart just went out to him and I just felt so bad for him. Um, and I didn't know what else to do. I'm like, I, I don't know what else to do, God. And it just hit me. He's like, of course you don't know what else to do. You don't know what to do at all. Pray and ask. So I'm sitting there in the straight. I'm just like, God, I don't know what to do. Can you just please calm him down? And within three seconds, the boy's muscles started to relax. And he started to calm down. And he was, without of, the, he was out of the restraint within like three minutes. I was like, oh, God, thank you so much. Then proceeded to walk down the road like a half a mile. It was that really, really hot day this week, and we had to follow him, and it was really sunny. But it was awesome because it, it, the situation was, was uh, all fixed, and, and then the next day he was doing really well. But I was just like, man, what if this was a first resort to ask? Ask God to help our unbelief. When you finally get to a point of belief or conviction, we're almost done here, uh, we need this last step, which is the R, and this is remember. How quickly we forget how quickly we forget. Look, I have reminders on my phone about everything, and it drives my wife crazy because it's the same sound that goes off in the morning when I hit snooze like five times. I need to change it. I know it sends her body back to like 6.30 a.m., and it's just not good. But I'll tell you what. I acknowledge that I am a forgetful person, and so I've strategically placed safeguards and things in my life to remind me of things. It's not because I'm more spiritual. It's because I'm smart and I know my weaknesses. I'm just being honest with you. And that's really what it means. Uh, it doesn't mean that you're, you're weak. It probably means you're even stronger to admit your weaknesses and to admit that we're forgetful. And it's not just about you know, little reminders that we need. It's, you know, we need to be actively reminded about the truth of God, the truth about ourselves, the truth about sin, and the truth about others. I believe that when you're actively relying on others to remind you of the truth about God, you're acting in faith. And this can be a part of fulfilling the A in clear by acknowledging that you can't do it on your own. I've been reading through the stories about the Israelites, and their main issue wasn't that they saw idols and pleasure and decided to worship them instead of God. That was not their main issue. Their main issue was that they forgot who God was and the character of God and that he had been faithful to them. And we are the Israelites. We do the exact same thing. When we sin, it's not because that sin it looks so good and pleasurable. It's because we forget how awesome and amazing and wonderful Jesus is and how wonderful God is and how redeemed we are. So in order to maintain conviction, you have to live in community with others, connection with God, and consistent communication with yourself. I like alliteration too. Community with others, like we're doing here at AU, by gathering on Sunday mornings or by doing life groups so that others can remind you uh, of, of truths, because we forget, we're forgetful. Connection with God through prayer and his word on a regular basis so that we can be reminded of this truth, and then in consistent communication with yourself to remind yourself of these truths. You know, I used to struggle with fully believing that I was forgiven. And so I would mess up time and time again and go to God and confess my sins, and I would feel forgiven in that moment, and then later I wouldn't. And so I had some wonderful brothers in Christ come alongside of me. KP was one of them. And just consistently remind me over and over and over and over again 
I am forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. And friends, I'm telling you this morning, I still mess up and I still fail, but God has given me a trust and an assurance and a confidence that I am forgiven and that lie no longer holds me down like it used to because of the community that KP and my brothers provided for me. Really what we need to be reminded about is the truth about God, ourselves, sin, and others. Ephesians even talks about um, kind of faith and, and this idea of, of uh, extinguishing some of the darts of the evil one, which I believe are lies. It says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And again, the darts he throws at me is lies. And so this faith can help to be a shield for that, this belief and this trust and this obedience, this biblical faith. So here's some questions to consider as we close up. What is your if? What's the if that God wants you to just bring to him, to just consider bringing to him? And then what's the if that you've been stuck on for years? I'm convinced that we each have at least one of those. What is the thing you're not quite certain God can do? Is it if you can heal my family member? Or if you can free me from this addiction? Or if you can change that coworker? My friends, Jesus is telling you this morning, all things are possible for the one who believes. Here's a second question. What are you believing or struggling to believe about God, yourself, sin, or others? And how is it hindering your faith? So what are you believing or struggling to believe about God, yourself, sin, or others, and how is it hindering your faith? Maybe you do believe that you're worthless. Maybe you don't believe that others can be trusted. Maybe you believe that sin is going to fulfill you, or maybe that you don't believe that what God has provided for you is enough. So what are you believing, and what are you struggling to believe? And then tell someone, tell someone, remember, community, we need it. We need that constant reminder. And then the third question is here, is are you bringing your doubt and your unbelief to Jesus? Are you bringing your doubt and your unbelief to Jesus? Jesus will take you wherever you're at, and he didn't wait until the father in this story had full belief and trust and obedience and faith before he moved in his life. He didn't wait until the man had it all figured out and was a fully devoted follower of Jesus before he chose to heal him. Does that sound familiar at all? Abundant life, Jesus didn't wait until we had full faith or trust in him before he went to the cross. He didn't even wait until you had breath in your lungs to say, I want you, I choose you, to come after you and to pursue you. He died for us while we were still sinners. Not even faithless sinners, dead sinners. While we were still enemies with God. So Jesus will take you wherever you're at. And you know, if none of the evidence mentioned earlier appeals to you, or if it doesn't answer some of the most basic questions of will God be faithful to me, or will he come through, or will things be okay? I believe God wants to tell you this this morning, that the answer is yes, and that he has the most convincing evidence in the world of his faithfulness to you. All you have to do is look at the cross. God the Father, who did not spare his only Son for you, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things and be faithful to us in the future? That's the, that's the hardest thing God has ever done and the strongest and most loving, and most passionate thing God has ever done for you. So why would he not provide moving forward? Let God grow your faith by looking at his faithfulness. Let's pray. Father, I feel so unqualified um, in many senses to, to even be standing up here.
before my brothers and sisters, my family of uh, 24 years here in this congregation, Lord. It's been amazing to see your faithfulness. And, uh, and you know what? I am unqualified, but the gospel has qualified me. And the truth of the gospel that Jesus Christ has, has been crucified and, and lived a perfect life and died a perfect death and raised from his rest in the grave, that qualifies me to come up in here and, and proclaim his name. And it's just such a privilege. And Lord, I believe in Jesus and I believe in everything I've said today, but help my unbelief. I don't believe as fully as I should. We don't believe as fully as we should. We need your help. Help us to trust in you. Help us to to remember your faithfulness and to allow that to allow us to have more faith in you moving forward. We love you so much. We pray for your faithfulness this week. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.